Okay, here we go. So this is actually part three of our uh, study in prayer. Does anybody need a study sheet, by the way? We have some right here. Um, we are looking at the five spiritual tools that God uses in our life to help us get stronger as a Christian. Uh, the Bible, which we already talked about, prayer, which we'll finish up today. Next week, we'll start the church. Then we're going to look at the people in our life, good and bad. And then finally, the personal experiences that we go through. And uh, we're looking at three things about each of these particular spiritual tools God uses in our life. Number one, what will this do for me? How do I use it? And what kind of results can I expect? Today, we're talking about what kind of results can I expect if I pray the way we talked about. Now, as we begin in Philippians 4, look with me at verse number 6. Let me read a few verses and review real quick. And then we're going to get into the topic today, how does prayer really change my life? What kind of results am I going to start seeing actually in my life if I pray this way? Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite passages of Scripture when it comes to prayer. And part of the reason for that is, I am the world's biggest worry wart. This is one of the passages in the New Testament that deals with worry and how you handle it. So, as we begin today, the topic is, how does prayer really change my life? I mean, what's going to be different about me if I pray the way we've talked about? Well, first of all, let's go back real quick and review what kind of prayer are we talking about? You'll remember that we began by looking at Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So what does prayer do for me? Number one, it causes me to focus on God and not myself and my circumstances. Call unto me, he said. Number two, he said, I will answer you. It's either yes, no, or maybe, i.e., wait. But he does answer somehow. His answer is for his glory and my good. Not to give me what I want. But that's what he meant when he said, I will answer you. Well, what does that do for me? It strengthens my faith and my relationship with God. Then number three, he said, I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Prayer also gives us wisdom, knowledge, and direction for making wise decisions in our life according to God's purpose. Prayer helps accomplish that. So, if that's what it does... I focus on God, my faith and my relationship with Him get stronger, and I become wiser in order to make better decisions. If all of that starts to happen in my life, then what about my life is going to change? If that's what prayer is doing to me, that starts to happen in my life. What about my life changes? Now, let's before we look at that, one more thing. What kind of prayer are we talking about? Remember I asked the question, can we pray anywhere at any time, about anything. Can we? Yes, we can. As a matter of fact, when Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, what he was referring to was a constant open relationship with God through Christ, whereby we can talk to him anytime we want to. Remember Peter walking on the water? My favorite example. He started to sink. He said, Lord, save me. That was a prayer. He was talking to Jesus. And God immediately answered 
and saved him. Jesus reached down and grabbed him. So we can pray like that. But remember, we were talking about the fact that even though we can pray that way, that is not an excuse not to have a personal, private, on purpose, focused time alone with God. Now, how did we find out that that was a vital part of every Christian's life? We just looked at the one who is our greatest example, Jesus. What did he do? And we saw that many times in his life, he on purpose, personally, got alone in a private, lonely place, focused on God, and had a conversation with him. So, even though you and I can pray anytime, anywhere about anything, in order for prayer to do in my life what it needs to do to help me grow and be stronger as a believer, it has got to be that kind of prayer that I also have in my life. Personal, private, on purpose, and focused time alone with God. Now, most of us have the other kind. Most of us talk to God all the time. I mean, I, I, I would think you do. I do. Um, when I, I've mentioned to you before, when I was in school, I talked to him a lot, 30 seconds before every exam, feverishly. You talk about fervent prayer. Dear God, please illuminate my mind. Bring back to my mind those things I studied and the 40% I did not study. Give me revelation, you know. I mean, we, we all do that, and that's okay. I mean, that's the privilege of being a child of God, is we can talk to our Father anytime. But I'm telling you, and I am urging you, we need this other time as well. If Jesus needed it and did it often, we need it. If prayer is going to change my life in the three ways I'm about to show you, it's that kind of prayer that's going to produce this change, not 30 seconds before my exam. Though that kind of prayer is okay, but that kind of prayer doesn't do this. It's the Jesus kind of prayer that does this. Okay? So let's look at this. Philippians chapter 4. First of all, I want you to look at verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. There are three things that will change about my life if I have this kind of prayer. Let me give you all three of them, then we'll go back and talk about them. Number one, it will give me a greater awareness of spiritual things in my life. I'm focusing on God. My relationship's becoming stronger. My faith's becoming stronger. I'm getting wisdom and direction for knowing God's will. I'm going to become more aware of spiritual things in my life because I'm spending more time focusing on it. Number two, I will have greater peace in my life. Peace and joy. So I'm going to have greater peace in my life. Philippians 4 says, if I pray like, like this, then the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard my heart and mind. That kind of peace only comes from this kind of prayer. Then number three, I'll have greater faith. My faith will get stronger as I pray like this. Now let's go back and look at all three of these real quick. First of all, I will have a greater awareness of spiritual things. Take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Most of you know this verse and you know the story. But let me read you the verse and uh, let's talk about it for a second. Okay? Matthew 26 and verse 41. This is the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He went there. He took Peter, James, and John further into the garden. He told them to stop and stay at a certain place, and then he went a little further. Why? So he could pray. Where was he going? Personally, privately, on purpose, he was getting alone so he could focus on his father because of his need at that time. So again, he's doing exactly what he has given us a pattern of him doing all of his life. He's doing it right up to the day he was crucified. So he goes into the garden and he asks these guys to stay and pray with him. He goes and he prays and he comes back. And he finds Peter, James, and John doing what? Sleeping. That's where we come to verse 41. Look at what Jesus said. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. Do you remember in Luke chapter 11 when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray? What was one of the things Jesus said they ought to pray about in the Lord's Prayer when they pray? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, here's my question. How does prayer make me more aware of spiritual things in my life? How does prayer keep me from falling into temptation? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Then he gives the reason why we're all susceptible to it. The Spirit's willing. The Holy Spirit is willing to help us overcome it, but our flesh is weak. And we all got that. Do you remember in James 1.14 where the Bible teaches us how we are tempted? James 1.14, every man is tempted when he is drawn aside of his own sinful desires and enticed. Then when those desires take root, they bring forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. So how are we tempted? Pray so you won't fall into temptation. Well, what is temptation? It's when by our own sinful desires we are pulled aside and enticed. So what's happening here, Jesus is saying, watch and pray so that you will not easily be pulled aside or distracted and enticed to do what's wrong. Well, how does praying do this? The key is found in the word watch. The word watch is the Greek word that literally means to get up from your sleep or become alert. Wake up from your sleep or become alert. One of the things that was interesting in studying this, years ago I used to travel um, in a travel trailer. And our travel trailer we cooked with, and I heated the trailer with propane gas. Uh, now, we had big 30-gallon propane gas tanks, not the little bitty ones you use in your grill, but it's the same stuff. And, you know, whenever I began to live in a, a lifestyle where I needed that kind of propane gas for sustenance, it was amazing to me how many places along the highway they advertised propane gas. It was amazing to me all the places around town you could find propane gas that I never knew about before. You know why? Because now I had a need. So what happened? I became more alert to where this stuff was. That's exactly what Jesus is telling them. That's what he's telling us. When I become more spiritually aware of what's going on in my life and what Satan is trying to do to me in my life, 
all of a sudden, because I'm more alert to it, I catch it quicker, I see it clearer, and so I don't give in to it as much. Satan's greatest tool is deception. Satan's greatest advantage is our complacency. When we don't think about it, or it's not that important. There are several verses. Let me give them to you. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, be sober. The word there means be alert. Be vigilant. Be self-controlled. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. How do I withstand him? I've got to be alert. I've got to be aware of what's going on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse number 11, Paul says, we are not ignorant or blind to Satan's schemes in our life. We are not ignorant of how he works. We know what he's trying to do. Why? Because we're alert. We're aware of it. We are more conscious of what's going on in our life. That's spiritual awareness. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, at the end of the armor of the believer, the Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance. The word watching is the same word used here, to be alert. Prayer causes me to be alert to what's going on. I've listed for you here four things that it makes us spiritually more aware of. Let me give them to you real fast, then we'll move on to the next one. Number one, we just talked about it, Satan's tactics. If we have these personal, private, on-purpose, focused times of prayer, we become more aware of Satan's tactics and how he works in our life. How does that work? Well, number two, we become more aware of our own weaknesses. You know, I wish I had a way to explain this to you. I can't. You're just going to have to do what God says, and you will see this happen on your own. You will be praying, and God will bring to your mind things you are struggling with in your life and point out weaknesses to you and remind us we need to be careful today. I'm struggling with this. This could be an area Satan might come after me. I've got to be aware of this. Number three. We become more aware of our character. That's how we live. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, this is the scripture where the Bible says, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry and sin not. Why? Verse 27, because if we do, we allow Satan to get a foothold in our life. It's interesting. This is one of the verses we'll look at when we look at how to keep from being an emotional wreck. It says, be angry and sin not. We're going to talk about how do you do that. If I am angry, don't let the sun, don't go to sleep at night and allow that anger, that emotion of anger to take root inside of my heart all night long while I'm sleeping. You'll see, anger is one of the root emotions that causes problems with all the other ones. If we don't learn how to deal with that one, then we begin to have problems with all kinds of other ones. And that's what God says here. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't be angry in the wrong way and go to sleep with it. Because when you do, you allow Satan to get a foothold in your life. If I'm praying, I become more aware of that. It's hard for me to get on my knees and talk to God and spend that time with God 
meeting with Him when I know I have something in my life that's not right. It doesn't work. And I can't explain it. You just have to experience it. Then, number four, we also become more aware of God's purpose instead of ours. There are two passages of Scripture that to me are very, very um, helpful in this. One is Job. In Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, uh, this is where the Bible says after Job lost everything, that he ripped his clothes, he got on his face, and the Bible says he worshipped. Literally, he was focusing on God. He was praying. And at the end of that passage, verse 22, the Bible says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In other words, Job did not sin, and he did not blame God. Why? Because he was on his knees, focused in prayer, worshiping his God. You know what he said? Prior to those verses, I came into this world naked. I'll go out of this world naked. God gave me all this, and God can take it all away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. By the way, don't forget there is a Job chapter 42. If you read that, you find in Job 1, he was listed as the wealthiest, most righteous man in all the eastern world. In Job 42, after he went through all of this with the proper attitude, God doubled his wealth. Not only was he now the wealthiest man, he was now the wealthiest man times two. A lot of times we want chapter 42, we just don't want the first 41 chapters in our life. We love the blessings, we don't want to go through what it takes to get there. But I promise you, chapter 42 is worth the other 41 chapters. It's worth it. Okay. So, when I have this kind of prayer, I become more aware of spiritual things in my life. And I begin to grow and get stronger spiritually. The second thing it does that changes my life is I have greater peace in my life. To me, this is the greatest principle in Philippians 4 in the verses that we read. When I, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make my request known unto God, God gives me something that cannot be explained, a peace and a joy. Now, what is the opposite of that? It's worry. So how does this happen? How does prayer cause me to have greater peace in my life? Well, look at these three things. Number one, we trust more and worry less. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, this is where Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. How many of you can change anything by worrying about it? And in verse 33, this is where he said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things I'll take care of for you. You know, Quite often, and and by the way, worry is an emotion we will deal with. But worry, and and I've told you, I'm the biggest worry wart there is. Worry is something that, number one, will never change or solve any of our problems. However, it has been medically proven. Worry can make some of our problems worse. Physically, it can make us worse. People die because of worry. They worry themselves to death, literally. The stress on their heart creates cardiac arrest, and they die. Stress. That's why these doctors have stress tests. That's where it comes from. So if there's anything that's of value to me in learning to pray the way we've talked about, like Jesus did, it's that I need greater peace in my life. I need to get rid of some of this stress. 
Well, this is where it comes from. Number one, it helps me. Matthew 6, I trust God more, I worry less. Why? Because I'm seeing God do things. And the more God does things, the more we see God answer prayer and work in our life, which, by the way, doesn't mean He's not doing it now, but why does prayer make it more obvious? Because now I'm more spiritually aware of what's going on. So as a result of that, God starts getting the credit for all this, not circumstances and not coincidences. Now I see it's God. So what happens? My worry meter goes from here to about here. And we talk about that. I love the worry meter. I'm trying to get mine as low as possible. I will tell you, I don't think it's ever going to go flat. Mine hasn't yet. I still have... I mean, we get close sometimes, and then, like a good old human, things happen and my worry meter goes... Pew! So i got to start all over again and get that worry meter down. Some people call that blood pressure. I like to call it a worry meter. Okay? Um, but we all have it. We all go through it. I mean, it's just part of life. This kind of prayer helps that. It creates greater peace. We trust more, we worry less. Number two, we become more concerned about God's plan and less concerned about our needs. In Philippians 4, where we read that when we pray, we get this peace of God, beginning in verse 10 and going through verse 13. Now, by the way, everybody knows verse 13. I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. We all know that. Do we know the context in which that was written? Paul said, I've learned to be content. I know how to be rich. I know how to be poor. I know how to have a lot. I know how to have a little. Basically what Paul says, I have learned not to let that material fluctuation in my life Control me. I've learned to be content in whatever my situation is. Now, understand something real important here. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Both of those are goals we shoot for that are very difficult to attain, and godliness we will never fully attain till we get to heaven. I'm convinced total contentment is something that we probably will never totally master until we're in heaven. However, we can get a whole lot better at it. Envy and jealousy, those types of things are always going to creep into our life. We're human. Contentment is something that has to be learned. How do you suppose Paul learned contentment? Well, he kind of described it. He said, I know how to have a lot, and I know how to have a little. Evidently, there was a time where he had a little, and then he got a lot, and then he went back into having a little. And then he must have had a lot again, and then he had a little. If you read his description of when people sent him gifts, like in Philippians 4, you will know that there were times when he was really hurting and had a lot of need, and then a gift came from some of the believers, and he said, now I have what I need. Until that was all gone, and then he needed it again, and now I have what I need when the gift came. So how did Paul learn contentment? Going up and down, watching God meet his needs. How are you and I going to learn contentment? The same way. The Bible teaches riches have wings and they fly away very quickly. 
don't depend on them. Okay? So, what does prayer do for me? It helps me to focus on God's plan, not my own needs. In other words, it teaches me contentment. And that's something we've got to learn. It's not easy. I don't know that we ever fully attain to it, but it will help us have peace instead of worrying. And then number three, we become more thankful. Let your request be made known by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. You know what brings peace in that prayer? Is God, I don't deserve anything, and I'm thankful for whatever you do. You know a lot of times how we pray? We give God the game plan. Now, dear God, I pray that you will help this to happen, and you will make this happen, and you will cause this to happen, and then this need will be met, and everything will be okay. So, Lord, I need to pray about this. So I'm praying, asking you to do all of these things. What am I basically doing? I'm basically telling God how to do his job. God, here's how I see this working out, so I'm praying you make it happen like this. And we're all guilty. I am super guilty of this. Because you know me, I think I'm so spiritual, I can just tell God whatever I want. God, i got a great idea. Let's let it happen like this, and I'm asking you to make it happen this way. You know what's so interesting? In my whole life, very seldom does God ever do it the way I tell him to. So you know what I think? He's not listening to my prayers. He's not hearing me. You know what the Bible says the Holy Spirit does for us? The Bible teaches in the book of Romans, we know not what to pray for as we should. So the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Here's what happens. Bill says, God, I'm asking you to do this and this and this and this and this. The Holy Spirit takes that and goes to the Father and says, Now, Father, here's what Bill really means. He has a need, and he really needs you to meet it. So I'm asking you to take care of him. And then God does it his own way. The need still gets met, but normally it's in a way that I have no idea. So I've got to be thankful for whatever God does. And that comes with contentment. And that leads us, by the way, into the last thing. And that is, what does prayer do in my life? How did my life change? I have greater spiritual awareness, greater peace, and then finally, greater faith. In Mark chapter 9, verses 14, and I think it's verse 22. I left out a 2 there, I think. Um, it's not verses 14 through verse 2. We don't read backwards. Um, unless you're reading Hebrew in the Old Testament, and then you read backwards. But anyway, sorry about that. Um, this is the story of the teacher. man came to Jesus, and he said, Teacher, I brought my son to you who was possessed of a demon. And your disciples couldn't heal him. And Jesus said, Are you guys still a generation of people that don't believe? I can't believe that you don't trust me. By the way, that was more or less directed toward his disciples. So what did Jesus say? Bring him to me. You know, here's a great practical lesson. A lot of times, we want to take all of our problems to the disciples of the Lord or the things that are good things but that we think can fix our problem when what we really need to do is take it straight to Him. I, you know, I, I'm honored that people like to come to me and they, they want counseling and they want advice from the Bible. And I love to do that. But the truth is, I can't solve anybody's problems. 
I can tell you what the Bible says, and, and I can point you in the same direction that most of the time God's been whipping me and pointing me in. But I can't really fix anything. God's where you really need to go. And that's what he said, bring him to me. What happened? The man and Jesus met. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus told the man, anything's possible if you believe. Anything. And you know what the man said? Lord, I do believe. But help my unbelief. Do you believe God can do anything? Yes. Do you believe God can heal your son who's been possessed with a demon since the time he was young? I'm not sure. Do you believe God can do anything? Yes, I believe. Do you think He can heal your son? I'm not sure. Help my unbelief. How did God help His unbelief? He healed His son. He healed His son. You know what he said at the end of the passage? This kind of faith goes out only by prayer. King James says prayer and fasting. What does prayer do? It gives me greater faith. Why? Because God, through working in my life, helps my unbelief. It's okay to admit that we doubt sometimes. It's okay to admit God, I'm not sure this will work out. I've given you some things here. Number one, God delights in doing the unexpected. And that helps our faith to grow. Remember the story in Acts chapter 12, verses 5 through 19? It's the story where Peter's in prison. They all got together at Rhoda's house and they're praying. And all of a sudden, God gets Peter out of prison. He knocks on the door at Rhoda's house. Rhoda comes to the door. It's Peter! Slams the door and runs back to everybody. You're never going to believe it. I think there's a ghost here. And the ghost looks just like Peter. The Bible says, I think, um, kind of hilariously, Peter is still knocking at the door. Now, were they praying for Peter's release? Yes. Do you think they really believed God would release him? Or was this a help my unbelief situation? I think it was a help my unbelief situation. So what did God do? He helped their unbelief. How did He do it? Unexpectedly, he brought Peter to them. He answered their prayer. You know what God's going to do? When you and I pray, there's a lot of times we're going to pray unbelievingly. Though we know God can do it, deep in our heart, if we're honest, we really are wondering. You know why? It's not happening the way I figured it. God delights in doing the unexpected. Still answers the prayer. And when He does it unexpectedly, my faith gets stronger. Number two, God works for His purpose to be accomplished, not ours. In Acts chapter 16, this is where Paul and Silas were in prison. And you remember the story. The earthquake came. The walls fell down. The jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul said, wait a minute. We're all still here. Now, I would have thought just like the jailer. Have you guys lost your mind? You are locked up. The walls are broken. I'm going to kill myself. You can go free. We're all still here. Interesting thing about that story. Evidently, the jailer took Paul and Silas to his house, which must have been near the jail. He led the family to Christ. They were baptized. They fed him. Then the next morning, if you read the story, the leader said, now we're going to release them from prison. So they told the jailer. The jailer goes back and says to Paul and Silas, you're free. You can go. 
Now, wait a minute. The night before, walls fall down. I mean, unless they got the fastest construction crew in the world, I don't understand how they got rebuilt. The walls fall down. They don't leave. They go to his house. They're out of the jail. They go to his house. They eat. They do what they do. And the next morning, the jailer is coming to them saying, now you can go free. Wait a minute. You were free last night. What did you do? Go back to the jail? Now, that's some honest criminals. You know why they were there? Read the account of what they said when the jailer said, you can go free. They said, we're Romans. We're not going anywhere. We were locked up unjustly. We want a hearing. You know why Paul wanted a hearing? He didn't care about being vindicated. He wanted an opportunity to share the gospel with those Roman leaders. And he got it. You know why Paul didn't run from that jail? Because he was more concerned about God's purpose for his life, not his own. That's why most of us think he's nuts for not going free. Because we would have been more concerned about our own freedom rather than God's purpose of spreading the gospel. That's why Paul stayed. When you pray like this, that begins to happen to our heart. And all of a sudden our faith gets stronger. As we see God do the unexpected and accomplish His purpose, our faith grows. I'll close with this. Um, most of you know that um, several months ago, I began to pray about and, and talk about going back full-time into ministry. And um, about a year and a half ago, our pastor encouraged me to call and talk to a man who used to be pastor of another church here in the Columbia area. He had left pastoring the church. The church was doing great and went into another ministry and is doing great and went through that same process I'm going through. So our pastor encouraged me to call him and talk to him. So he was in an airport getting ready to fly to California for a conference that he was speaking at, and he called me. We talked for 30 minutes. And all the things that he said, and it was all good. There was one piece of advice that he gave me that changed the whole course of my life. He said, Bill, I can give you all kinds of ideas and tell you all kinds of things that you can look at, but I'm going to tell you the one thing that helped me the most. He said, what you really need to do, you need to get alone with God and just talk to Him. He already knows what He wants you to do. He's the one you need to talk to. You can get advice, and that's all great. God's who you need to talk to. And you know, up until that time, I'd pray here and there. I mean, I, you know, the before the exam prayers, I do that all the time. And again, nothing wrong with that. I had my little times of prayer here and there. I'd lay in my bed in the morning and pray for 10 or 15 minutes before I got up. I, I mean, I, I'd do all that. I'd sit at my desk and take our class prayer list every now and then, and I'd pray for those needs and you know, in five or ten minutes, and, and I'd do that. I didn't have what Jesus had, a personal, private, on-purpose, focused time of prayer. When that man told me that, I immediately began to figure out how I could do this. I created a place in my office where now early in the morning where I can't be interrupted while the rest of my family is asleep. For the last 
six or eight months, I can count on one hand the number of days I've missed doing this. I get up. I go down there. I get on my knees. I have a Bible, my glasses so I can see, my journal, and any prayer list that I have. Our class, my, my Thursday night Bible study prayer list, and I begin to pray. Sometimes I'm there for 30 minutes. Sometimes I'm there an hour. One day I was there almost two hours. And what do you do? I just talk to God and let Him talk to me. I shut out the rest of the world. And I focus just on Him and let Him focus on me. It has changed my life. It's changed my life. I can tell you one of the ways it has changed me, because all three of these things have happened to me since I started doing that. I've become more aware of spiritual things. God's pointing out weaknesses in my life that I'm trying to fix. The peace of God is unbelievable. I left a six-figure year income to go full-time into the ministry where I was promised zero. We did that October 1st. So far, we are not tracking toward a six-figure income. We're not even tracking toward a five-figure income. As a matter of fact, in November, we're tracking toward about a two-figure income. And you know the reason I tell you that? I'm not complaining. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I can't explain that. I got bills to pay and no money. I can't explain it. But I'm not worried. And I'll tell you, for eight months, I've been doing this. And these three things are happening. Now, I will tell you this. I don't know how God's going to do it. I've given Him lots of suggestions. So far, He hasn't taken any of them. But I know one thing. God told me to do this. I'm as sure of that as I'm sitting here. And He's going to take care of me. And when he does, not only is my faith going to go through the roof, but everybody who knows what's going on that hears about it when it happens, so will yours. We serve a huge God. And this kind of prayer changes our life. Father, thank you for what you do for us. Show us how powerful you are. There's not a person sitting in this room today, my friends, who are not in some area of their life facing some difficulties. We all do. Lord, I pray you will bless them and help them to begin this kind of prayer life. Begin to do these things in their life. Show them how much you love them. Thank you, Father in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.